Barclay and Barton on the Premier League, brought to you in association with Pitch Publishing, the UK's leading independent sportsbook publisher. Also in association with the Sports Freelance Collective. With Walk Wag Play, a dog walking and training company in Cardiff, doing right by your dog, follow on social media at Walk Wag Play. And also, Tony Park Consulting, helping you and your business grow. Tony Park Consulting at gmail.com. This is Barkley and Barton on the Premier League. I'm Wayne Barton, football writer and author, joined as always by Paddy Barkley, retired football writer. How are you doing today, Paddy? Uh, very well indeed, thanks. Really looking forward to this 2016 17 season. Um, uh, the season after the season to end all seasons, I suppose. The season of Leicester City, and it sort of um, uh, normal service was resumed, wasn't it? A little, yeah. And thankfully, on the continent, there was a little bit of continuity going on, wasn't there? Um, with Real Madrid winning Champions League after Champions League. Mm, yeah, yeah. This uh, this season, they beat uh, Juventus four-one, and uh, Manchester United were reminded of what they had lost. Uh, with Cristiano Ronaldo scoring uh, two of the goals. Yeah, <laughs> reminded of what they lost. It's like mm. a, an annual occurrence. Being <laughs> like. um, um, and we'll get onto that as, as we go through the show. Um, so yeah. yeah, we talked about, you said about um, a sense of normality and possibly that is reflected in the number of managers that leave the post as well. Eight before the start of the season and yeah. throughout the season two clubs changed their manager twice as well. So, Mm. The, the pre-season stories were about the Manchester clubs hiring Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho but really Paddy, the story was Antonio Conte coming in and making the biggest impact taking Chelsea to the title with an impressive 93 points and I, we've said a couple of times on this show mm. um, about Chelsea's more impressive on reflection title wins and this is one in that category isn't it? Uh, yes, very much so. Especially as you know, when you think of what had preceded it. Um, true, Gus Hiddink had steadied the ship in the second half of the previous season, um, but so woeful had Chelsea's title defence been, because uh, of course they won it uh, the season before the one we are concentrate, concentrating on at the moment. Um, they'd, they'd actually sort of flirted with relegation and. Uh, uh, under Jose and um, and Hiddink came in, steadied the ship, but uh, nothing really prepared us for uh, how uh, devastating they would become under Antonio Conte. Some good buys, though, weren't there? Some key buys at the start of the season. Um, Golo Kante, you know, thirty million, and it's quite. It's quite, uh, he was to you know, win the title for the second year in a row, because of course he'd won it with Leicester the year before. But uh, his performance has proved that it wasn't just coincidence. Um, but it's also interesting when you talk about Chelsea being very smart in the market, which is a theme we alluded to um, two, two seasons ago, two episodes ago, that they actually, um, it was, N'Golo Kante wasn't the first choice. They'd made three bids. Uh, for the Serie A, to Serie A for Raja Nangolan. Um, the last one being of 30 million, they were all turned down by Roma, I think his club, his club was. 
And um, so they said, oh, well, fair enough, we'll, we'll sign N'Golo Kante from Leicester. But I mean, I can't believe that Raja Nangolan would have been half, a third, a quarter as effective as N'Golo Kante. No, it's, it is incredible. He's up there with the, um, the, the great second-choice signings in, in Premier League history. <laughs> He's up there with Eric Cantona, really, because yeah. he redefines Chelsea. He, he's very much in the Makalele mould but I think that's a, a lazy sort of comparison really mm-hmm. I think Kante's got the energy which Makalele I'm not saying he didn't have but he didn't need to use he yeah, didn't have the no no nothing like the mobility uh, of N'Golo Kante and um, but you know it's a reasonable comparison because of the position where they did their most important work and because they were unself both were unselfish uh, ball winners and and swift and intelligent and simple users of the ball. So there's much more uh, in common uh, than the uh, greater mobility of N'Golo Kante. But a lovely guy, by the way, a wonderful fellow. At the end of this season, he was quite rightly uh, footballer of the year. And I was uh, it was my first year as chairman of the PFA, so I had the pleasure of sitting next to him at our dinner and. Uh, as nice a young man as you will ever meet in Golokante, totally unpretentious, totally lacking in any apparent ego whatsoever. Um, and he was very much the, the man that characterized by one or two newspaper features, which pointed out that he would come, you know, with all the Chelsea players coming, parking their limos at the uh, at the uh, in the training ground. He would he would come along with a, a little. And in fact, when he was at Leicester, I think he, I think he used to cycle to training or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> he only upgraded to a sort of standard uh, five thousand quid car um, when he when he moved further from the training ground. So I, yes, a, a, a really delightful, delightful person as well as a, a fantastic footballer. I, I know people who, um, you know, when picking a world team uh, over the last three years uh, would, he'd be one of the first names on the team sheet uh, Marcus Alonso uh, mm, another good yeah very good one understated but a tremendous left footer um, deadly yeah. free kicks set pieces um, like you said very understated but he's come in and replaced Ashley Cole on the left and um, possibly at that stage because obviously because Cole was declining at that point but Alonso was rem- remarkably consistent wasn't he still is yeah. right? he wasn't yes he still is he still is and he was right from the start and of course he enabled uh, Chelsea to change the system and uh, to go to 3-4-3 which um, they weren't the only team it caught on you know um, during this season and and uh, but Alonso of course is perfect in that because he got forward he scored goals and uh, I just think, yes, he got six league goals alone in this season. Um, as indeed did uh, Gary Cahill. I mean, the defense defenders really were uh, a good source of supplementary goals uh, during the season. But Marcus Alonso, yes, he's sort of outside left who can play fullback a bit. So he was it definitely, and of course he had the height, uh, so he was able to defend in the air and set pieces and so on. So, yes, yeah, a really good player and probably, uh, you know, slightly underrated. Um, the uh, the outs, the players who went out uh, in the summer, by the way, it's worth mentioning that Mo Salah, 
uh, went to Roma for 14.5 million. 14 points. So basically, they got one footballer of the year and sold one. Um, so, uh, yes, it was an interesting time. Um, the uh, A few of the old guard left Chelsea in the summer. Obi Mikel, Oscar went to China, where heaven, so many players went. Um, Ivanovic went back to uh, went to went to St Petersburg. Uh, Branislav Ivanovic. So a, a lot of players who've given good service over the years uh, went out. In came Michi Bachuai. Uh, Thirty-three million still looks a high price for him, but uh, he's been a, a useful useful to have around as a as a squad member. Juan Cuadrado went out to Juventus for a three-year loan. Uh, um, so a time of great change. One other noteworthy acquisition, it was the return of David Luiz uh, from Paris Saint-Germain. Chelsea, um, they go top early on in the season and there's a remarkable run of 12 or 13 wins on the bounce. Yeah, thir- of, 13, yeah. A lot of those, is it seven without conceding or something? They, Yeah, I mean, we've talked about um, Mourinho's efficient pragmatism and Mm -hmm, that of mm -hmm. Benitez as well, and we're about to talk about uh, Guardiola's impact on English football. Mm -hmm. What would you say that Conte brought um, to Chelsea? Oh, energy, I think. Um, His his coaching was obviously very brisk and and, uh, a bit like um, first uh, incarnation Mourinho, it looked to me. That the team was very energised. It was almost a reflection of his extremely animated touchline presence. Um, and of course, the, <coughs> excuse me, the change of system made them ever more uh, attacking. I mean, uh, they basically they, they sacrificed the fullback because uh, Aspilicueta became one of the three at the back. David Luiz took the middle position. Gary Cahill to the left. So he had a Moses on the opposite uh, wing-back role from, from Alonso with uh, Kante and a still very effective Nemanja Matic providing protection through that central midfield area. It was a, very, it was a good, well-balanced team because, of course, any time they wanted greater f- um, creativity, Cesc Fabregas could come in. Uh, he was still, you know, in, uh, you know at, at, at pretty well his peak. Uh, Pedro and Azar wide and uh, Diego Costa such a magnificent centre forward so uh, yeah terrific um, terrific side that was um, Chelsea gets an FA Cup final as well yeah mm-hmm. um, we'll talk about that in a little while because it's Arsenal's day to, to reflect on only to yeah. mention the semi-final against Spurs which was a great game for Chelsea oh what a and, game of football Matic scores one of the greatest Wembley goals you'll ever see an absolute oh. Under, um, but, uh, yes, it was. It was. Uh, it was a net, a net burster, as we used to say in the old days. Uh, fantastic left foot. Um, it was a great game, actually, full of really good goals. Uh, good free kick from William. Um, Harry Kane, of course, took uh, advantage as Spurs came back. Oh, and uh, Deli Alley, half volley. I mean, what a wonderful goal that. From a ball by Ericsson, oh, he was really, I mean, his his right foot was was the proverbial wand. Um, And uh, then, uh, you know, Hazard scored the the one that that finally put Chelsea uh, 
back in the league and uh, it was an epic game actually it was uh, worthy of a final definitely um, but uh, of course Chelsea weren't to win that as you, as you said Final was worthy of a final, to be fair. It, it was, yes, it was indeed. Um, let's talk about a different final um, whilst on the subject of Chelsea because they end the season with the fourth of five FA Youth Cup wins in a row. Mm. Paddy, we like our stats on this show, don't we? Oh, yeah, we do. This, this one is incredible. Not so much a stat rather than uh, just a figure to marvel at. 38 players are loaned out by Chelsea in the mm-hmm. season and it seems I mean there's a, a big criticism that comes with that um, it mm-hmm. seems like lip service is being paid to the youth system um, with you know regards the integration into the first team mm-hmm. now obviously the intention was right because there's a lot of money being put into that and we mentioned it much earlier in this series that Abramovich yeah. was um, very clearly um, investing in the youth policy and they were doing it for the the, um, the idea of bringing through players it wasn't done um, without altruism, no, no, it wasn't pure altruism, no. So, so could it be argued at this point, because of the emergence of Manchester City, that they couldn't afford to take the chance <laughs> of, of yes. giving these, yes. these players a chance? Yes, I think you've summarised it uh, perfectly. I mean, the the dream, the idea, the the intention. It's a little bit. It's not something that never been done before, of course, because Manchester United on two, both in the Busby and in the uh, Ferguson eras, had been very successful at it. And what they'd found, particularly in the Ferguson era, was that the youth policy was not only prolific, particularly with the class of 92, and, and, and was fundamentally important, but even when it wasn't coming up with the goods... In other words, players good enough for Manchester United, it was still making a profit. Because if you look at uh, you look at Leicester City, uh, there were uh, players who'd left United, uh, Drinkwater and uh, Simpson, for example. In fact, you looked at a lot of teams, and they include players who uh, have Manchester United sold on sold on because they weren't good enough for them. Uh, you know, wherever you look, I mean, we've gone through this show and I've, I've kind of reminded you of, uh, you know, even as we speak now, Johnny, in this 2016-17 season, West Bromwich had a good season, uh, Darren Fletcher and um, Johnny Evans, you know, products of the Manchester United system were were there. So there was, a, the, the Manchester United youth system was a source of income as well as uh, it made a profit I'm sure of that I don't know I haven't worked out the figures but uh, I, I, I simply don't believe the amount of money that, that Manchester United took in through the youth policy in the Ferguson years wasn't uh, much more than it cost to run the coaching schemes and um, with Chelsea the same I mean with the era we're talking about players who came through the likes of Nathaniel Chaloba. Um, I think I had a brother as well who came through uh, Hudson Adoy who's actually in the squad as we speak um, you know and, and you know others far too numerous to mention for example well actually there is one to mention we're talking about a season in which Bournemouth do well 2016-17 finishing the top half and one of the players who's uh, influential for them is one who's on loan from Chelsea Nathan Ake uh, who eventually signs for Bournemouth and Chelsea get a fee of, I think it was about 10, 12 million. Pretty good uh, 
buy by Bournemouth that, by the way. Um, but still, 10 to 12 million, that, that pays for quite a lot of youth coaching. So it's, uh, it, 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 it was, it, it, you know, even if it doesn't, uh, didn't produce players for the Chelsea first team, um, which by and large it didn't, um, it, uh, it certainly gave them a chance and it produced squad players and it, um, um, and it made a profit. Make is making still a profit. Yeah, and certainly um, it should be said that we're talking about this in the summer of 2020, and um, this is a contemporary view. Of, well, a view of the time, shall we yeah. say? Because certainly it's reaped rewards since then, and Chelsea have taken advantage of that. Um, but that's for seasons to come. Um, Manchester City at the time they've hired Pep Guardiola um, around. £170 million invested throughout yeah. the season uh, £140 million in the summer it's Gundogan Sane Stones yeah. they're the headline transfers but you've got Claudio Bravo comes in a, a goalkeeper that Guardiola is yeah. familiar with Gabriel yeah. Jesus um, arrives in January uh, any new manager needs time um, but mm. in the early weeks you know City win six on the bounce yeah. um, they win at Old Trafford um, interesting game because that's the first time United fans see Mourinho as pragmatic but we'll, mm. we'll get to that in a moment but yeah. um, certainly um, City deserve to win on the game uh, on the day but there's a lot of um, early bold proclamations about how Guardiola's changing English football and I, that's I, right, yeah. I couldn't help but feel when I because I was looking back at some of the reports and one of them you know he's revolutionised fullbacks. Oh, um, God. I, I, honestly I, I, it, 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 it drives me mad when I read that kind of what was it tucked in fullbacks it was, it was it, you know I mean I could not I, I looked and I looked and I looked at them and I could not see anything different yeah. from what everybody else was doing. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, that there had to be something revolutionary about what Guardiola was providing. Um, I don't know why they couldn't wait. Um, it, it eventually became clear. Um, but, uh, I mean, one of the things that, that didn't happen straight away was the, was the defensive side of the game, the early repossession. Um, which, of course, he'd insisted on at Barcelona. Uh, there, there was still a lot of uh, relative laziness, I think, uh, and that was the reason that Man City finished third um, and 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 didn't didn't get any higher that season. Um, also, there were you know among the buys, the, the, the spend was extraordinary. I mean, you mentioned the figure of 170, which is right, but it was a net 150. <laughs> now, nobody spends a net 150. You know, you always get something back. But uh, City used their money, I think, to clear out. Um, but the new players, uh, the one you, you, well, one of the ones you didn't mention was Gabriel Jesus. And I think that for 28 million, he was a good buy. Um, but uh, Nolito... That was this was yeah. the the revolutionary centre forward he brought from Spain and he was hopeless. Um, Zinchenko came for a good fee. He's been good value for money. Stones has been um, the jury's still out on him. Yeah. He's just uh, I th- I th- listen. I, I'm I'm one of the people who argued for him, uh, and and I'm beginning to give up on him. 
Um, I, I, you know, I can remember writing that Barcelona would come for him. You know that he would be the long-term successor to Gerard Piquet and all that kind of stuff. Well, uh, you know, sometimes you wish you never said these things. You know, um, but yeah, to be kind, the jury's still out. I mean, he's probably still only what twenty-seven, John Stones. Um, and he is a lovely, he can do some lovely things, but uh, he, he's doing them fewer and fewer um, all the time. He, I don't know what he is really. I wonder if he should play in midfield sometimes. But anyway, that's, that's, that's by the by. But certainly he's not really proved money for, work value for money at uh, third, uh, 50 million. Otamendi and company was injured for most of the season at the back. Um, Bravo and Caballero actually shared goalkeeper duties Um, but one thing that was was definite was that Joe Hart was out because his feet weren't good enough according to Guardiola Um, Yaya Turi was still around but coming coming to the end so it was just as well that uh, Aguero uh, was scoring, scoring goals uh, 20, 33 in all competitions because of course City um, uh, played in Europe uh, for a bit until they ran into Barcelona um, uh, no they ran into Barcelona, I beg your pardon they ran. They played Barcelona in the, champ- in, in the group stage, they got through that and then lost to Monaco on away goals um, and, uh, and of course they had that long run to the FA Cup semis so there are a lot of games and Aguero got 33 in all of them Yeah, you mentioned the defensive frailties there was only three clean sheets before Christmas Yeah, and after the 4-2 defeat at Leicester where they looked mm. particularly miserable in defence so he, he says this about uh, he doesn't coach tackling mm. and you know obviously at the time it's misinterpreted it's quite funny at the time he's everyone saying oh my god he, I can't believe he's come out and said that he said something earlier in Germany where mm. um, I should say I don't think his time at Bayern was a runaway success but the point yeah. he was saying that he thought that the best well the, the thing that I interpreted from it um, after reflection when I was looking back at it um, was that the best defenders don't need to make tackles you look at Maldini you look at Rio Ferdinand sometimes they would go weeks without making a tackle because of their mm. anticipation of the game John, John Terry yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah which is a player that you know rarely gets mentioned in that sort of um, category because mm. everyone just labels him as a Vidic because he was rough and ready but yeah you're yeah. absolutely right he beautiful footballer yeah. um, but it's still interesting that um, I still felt like that kind of a player it's luck that someone like that drops on your doorstep or into your team. It's not something it's, for him to say that you don't need to concentrate on that because yes, you need the talent like Maldini and mm. Ferdinand and Terry had, but you also need good coaching to get to that kind of level where mm. you know your level of defensive expertise reads mm-hmm. the game in, in such a such a, a way. And, and that's always one factor that I had a reservation about with um, Guardiola. Not so much on the laziness of the quote, rather than mm. the, con- you know, you have a concession there that he's not coaching certain aspects of the game. And mm. to me, that's saying, well, he expects 11 supremely gifted players to be his um, beck and call, which, you know, certainly mm. at City and maybe at Bayern and at Barcelona, he can make those demands. But that's yeah. the one reservation I had, Paddy, about. And, and it's something that's going to come up later in this series yeah. when I'm talking about yeah. Jurgen Klopp's um, quality as a coach and the distinction between them because this is what I would like to have seen Guardiola, not, you know, not with Halifax Town, 
But mm. I'd like to have seen him. See, you know, could he have improved this team to to get better than third? And I think that maybe is it wrong to say that perhaps Guardiola could have we could have expected him to do better with the team that he had. No, I think you would, but I, I think what you would also have to say is that however well briefed he was by Begurastein and Soriano, who'd, who'd worked with at Barcelona, but had now been working at Man City for two, three years, something like that. However well briefed he was in advance of taking the job, um, the, it, the, you know, English football does take a wee bit of adjusting to it. Okay, you might say, well, it didn't seem... Antonio Conte didn't seem to need too much of an adjustment period, and and that would be a fair point. But I think with the uh, the complications of of Guardiola's coaching, um, I think it did need uh, it did need a bit of bedding in, and um, you know he I, I can I can remember thinking that yes he, sh- he should have done better with that squad, um, but. Uh, he was he was just getting his methods into the minds of the players. I think. And I think what you what you see if you review this season again was a level of uh, inconsistency that they've never displayed since. Yeah, you know, uh, 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 you know, the kind of shock results. And I mean, you you, you might also say, well, why did we allow? Um, Jurgen Klopp two years of bedding into English football and why don't we allow the same privilege to Guardiola well you might say well that's because Guardiola spent 150 million whereas in this season that we are talking about which is Klopp's second second season um, Klopp actually spends in the summer his net spend was minus 20 million pounds it's amazing that isn't it yeah and uh uh, so, you know that would be that would be a reasonable answer, but uh, uh, it 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 doesn't happen overnight. And a lot of the players that he did bring in, Gabriel Jesus is one, Nolito is another, Zinchenko is another, Sane is another, um, were not ever to become and to, to, to this day would were not uh, Gundogan were not ever to become stones. Um, uh, were not ever to become absolute rock solid Man City starting players, and what's more, Gabriel, Nolito, Zinchenko—they they were not bought as such. Sanegan, Gundogan, maybe and maybe even Stones were intended to go into the team and didn't cement those places. But a lot of the others were bought for the future. Some quirks of the Premier League, which we like to go over, and let's talk about Liverpool, who round out the top four. Um, mm. Their turnover of squad, and we talked about this at Liverpool with um, Gerard Ullier. You remember yeah. in his early years how he, he had yeah. a massive turnover of the squad yes. and still managed to keep them competitive. Well, mm. that's what Klopp does this time round. He gets Marne, Wijnaldum in two magnificent signings. Um, Total but, fifty-three million. Or more or less the same as it costs for John Stones. Bargain. Um, and and it, you can you can add Joel Matip as yep. well, who they got on a free yep. from Germany. Uh, from, I can't remember which club. Was it Werder Bremen? Maybe I can't remember. Anyway, uh, Matip on a free. So they've got three, well, two sensational, well, one sensational, one very good and one good player. 
for the price of John Stones. They also got Loris Caius uh, from Mainz, the goalkeeper who was supposed to uh, replace Simon Mignolet. Uh, Simon Mignolet, yes, who on uh, Carius's inglorious night in the Champions League final um, a couple of years on, uh, poor Mignolet on the bench. Um, he, he didn't know whether to laugh or cry, did he? Do you remember that, the picture of him? Anyway, um, yeah, Carius actually at this stage during this season looked, looked a promising goalkeeper for 4.7 from Klopp's old club Mainz. But really it was a great... Uh, a great window that, that they had. They got rid of a lot of the players um, that needed that needed to be got rid of in order for not only the new signings. I mean, out went people like Colature, Jose Enrique, Martin Skirtle, Jordan Ibe, Joe Allen, Benteke, Balotelli was still on the books at that time. So they made a profit. They actually made a profit on those four that they brought in. Um, and you know they, they had to clear the decks because uh, there were good players coming through there was Sam Woodburn who looked a great prospect at that time um, uh, Divock Origi older and more expensive Trent Alexander-Arnold was coming through Harry Wilson was coming through and uh, it was a very very promising youth uh, squad which occasionally would do first team duty um, so you know, everything was pointing in the light in the right direction at Anfield, even yeah. though they finished fourth. Yeah, he's progress. Plenty of goals, plenty of heavy metal football. Yeah. Um, one feature I did want to speak about the top four, mm. um, the defeats column for this top four. Liverpool mm. are fourth with six defeats. Mm-hmm. City third with six defeats. Spurs mm. second, who we haven't mentioned yet, we'll talk about them in a second. Mm. Um, Spurs second with four defeats, which is the mm. least, and Chelsea first with five defeats. In any Premier League season, really, well, rarely, so, some mm. have had fewer than six, um, The great, a few great teams have, but normally six is enough, isn't it? Six defeats, you'd think that's a Premier League. Um, oh, yeah. You could t- challenge with that. Um, Absolutely. You would expect to win the league or, or be within a couple of points of winning the league traditionally if you had six defeats definitely um but uh, no six defeats now uh, basically you'd, you'd hope to sneak into the champions league qualifying spot uh which is what liverpool did but that's quite right and i think we mentioned before in, in I, I think i mentioned it in the different context of there were teams creeping into the top half who lost more than they won um, so that this two-tier league, uh, or three-tier, if you if you want to um, say that the second tier was the Europa League chasing lot, um, who in this season would be the likes of Southampton and so on, Everton, um, you 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 could maybe make a case for it being a three-tier league, but it wasn't a unitary league, as envisaged, one in which the lowest could beat the highest. Oh, you, to be fair, you could look at the previous season when uh, Leicester City um, were champions and, and say, well, what are you talking about, mate? But um, by and large, the trend was in the direction uh, of there being the Champions League lot and the others. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we get to Spurs, sorry Spurs, but we've got to talk about oh, Leicester yeah. because um, they're last yeah. season's champions. Um, and it's... 
it's still a good season for them when you look at it. I mean, and yes. if you want to speak without condescension, I mean, despite the problems, they sacked Claudio Ranieri in February because of five consecutive defeats, which put them in 17th. And there's a lot of um, talk about internal arguments and the players um, falling out with Ranieri and not liking yeah. the, the way that the club's been run. And you think, uh, certainly me as someone who's a bit of a traditionalist, and I look at it and think, how can you sack the man that has brought you the league title but they turn out yep. to be right to do it yeah. don't they um, the squad's not deep enough to handle all of the competitions really I don't think no, but, but no they tried and there are some memorable nights in there Paddy against Porto and Sevilla in particular yes in the in the Champions Champions League, Leicester, you know, were the last English team in the Champions League. The only one to make the last eight. So, you know, they certainly didn't let England down. They didn't look like uh, freak champions, you know, yeah. in those in, in in the Champions League at all. Um, and they more or less had the same team. It's not as if. You know, Vardy had gone. He had the opportunity to go. It's not as if Mares had gone. It's not as if, um, uh, you know, Drinkwater, who was seen as a key player, had gone at that stage. Um, it was exactly the same team, apart from Golo Kante. Um, Daniel uh, Amate was signed uh, to replace it, or Musa as well. They they did sign four players at a cost of seventy. Four million pounds, um, and they sold forty-four million pounds. Uh, N'Golo Kanté and Adrian Schlup. So they did try to to strengthen up for uh, the 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 home and away the dual dual um, campaign. Um, but uh, relations between Ranieri and the team, obviously relations between his coach. Uh, Craig Shakespeare and the team were not a problem uh, because when Craig Shakespeare took over when Leicester were in the relegation zone um, in March um, they immediately started they got five wins in a row and and there was one of them that I watched this morning which was 3-1 over Liverpool Um, it was magnificent I mean they looked champions um, and uh, this was under Shakespeare Vardy got to drink water got an absolute belter uh, from 25 yards and um, I, I don't, it, you mentioned that they were on the edge of the bottom three uh, uh, but the commentator on the clip that I watched said, it, said that that was Leicester out of the bottom three so they must very briefly for even one day uh, yeah. have dropped into the bottom three which is extraordinary and and in those circumstances as you rightly say to finish 12th it, although technically it beat Chelsea uh, the previous season as the worst title defence since the Premier League began in 92-3 um, it was you know if uh, two years ago you'd offered Chelsea uh, Leicester 12th place they'd have bitten your hand off so um it was it was a relief. It was a relief that suddenly they they stood up and 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 towards the end of the season started looking like the team they had been. Yeah, Spurs runners up again, but they're they're ten points behind Chelsea in early December, so never yeah. really in the title race. But no. 
worth mentioning because of some really significant away results in this season. Four goals oh, at yeah. Stoke, four goals at Southampton, and then um, winning two games at the back end of the season, um, yeah. 6-1 and 7-1 away from home. 12 against Leicester, one of them, yeah. yeah. The other one against Hull, but... You know, terrific. They'd won, uh, they beat Manchester United in that powerful, yeah. powerful run towards the end of the season. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, they were good at the start of the season as well. They didn't lose a league match until nearly December. So it was a, it was a terrific season. And, and um, you know how I am with my ratio of goals scored <laughs> for goals against. Well, how about 86-4 and 26 against? That's a pretty good ratio. And uh, well over, you know, nearly th- about nearly three and a half goals to one, which is, uh, you know, a lot of champions don't do as well as that. And, and Tottenham finished second. But uh, it was the last season at White Hart Lane and, and they did the old place proud. They were about to move, of course, to Wembley for a little longer than they expected. Um, while their uh, magnificent new stadium was being built. Um, they finished seven points behind uh, um, Chelsea, but they also finished eight in front of Manchester City. So it's uh, a, a terrific season by any standard except that which, you know, was waiting for Tottenham to, to win the title. Um, the team was much the same as... as you know, it was in the same shape as we were to recognise for throughout the um, the Pochettino era. Loris in goal with Walker or Trippier at right back, Davies or Rose at left back. Sometimes they would rest the fullbacks. Very, very important to the Tottenham style under Pochettino. The fullbacks would they'd rely on the fullbacks for width. Um, so occasionally they had to rest them and and bring in. So they always, you know, you. Um, you know, Ferguson started it with uh, with the four from the triple triples, triple season. Having four strikers became the norm. Uh, under uh, Pochettino, you needed four fullbacks, uh, <laughs> yeah. which was interesting. Um, but Dyer and Wanyama gave a good um, protection there in front of the back four, so that the four the fullbacks could uh, provide uh, width going forward. Dele uh, Ali had a had a sensational season scored uh, um, 18 18 goals in the league isn't that not amazing or 18 goals overall I, I think it might have been um, uh, Hyungmin Son who I think had a disappointing time when he first came from Bayer Leverkusen became the player we now recognise him to be absolutely superb support for Kane Kane 29 in the league alone golden boot winner Son 14 Ali as I say 18 although I think I may have got that stat slightly overexcitable Eriksson chipped in with 8 goals Christian Eriksson and arguably he was as important as any man in the team there was one particular game that illustrated it um, which was the victory over Chelsea. And Ericsson put two on Dele's head, uh, both of which were put away with a plum, I might say. But, oh, for crossing, for simple crossing. Um, the commentator, uh, whoever it was on this uh, clip that I watched, said, you know, oh, no, it was Alan Smith, co-commentator, said that's what you do in training, what we've just seen. 
and they were able to do it against uh, the defence of the champions. So, uh, yes, uh, very fondly uh, remembered season. And the fact that it ended so well with 13 goals away from home in two games uh, hinted at uh, more uh, purple patches to come. Yeah, and you didn't get too excited, Paddy. Just checked that out, and Delhi did get 18 league goals, 22 in all competitions. So, my goodness, uh, yeah, that is incredible for someone who was <coughs> essentially a, an attacking midfield player. Yeah, um, talking about the um, stadium moves, West Ham and Spurs were sort of caught up in this long running saga, really, weren't they? Because Spurs yeah. were rumoured to move into the Olympic Stadium. Um, but it turned out to be West Ham who did, and um, they played in the Europa League in this in their in their, um, their maiden season in the Olympic Stadium. Yeah. Um, and they were eliminated by Astra Giurgiu of Romania, yeah. and yeah. really that doesn't do their season any detriment because they finish a, a fairly impressive eleventh in the league and a lot yeah. of goals from midfield, even compensating for the. Um, sale of Dimitri Payet in mid-season and they've got yeah. a lot of goals from Lanzini um, Mark Noble who must now be about 55 <laughs> he's contributing <laughs> with his five goals um, <laughs> Czech Chiote with four Feguli with five um, it's a really good season for West Ham isn't it in their first yeah match. 11th uh, a slight drop I think under Slaven Bilic but uh, Mikel Antonio once again Important. In fact, he was the leading league scorer with with nine. But as you rightly said, others others chipped in. Uh, Lanzini, who I mentioned last week, who I'm very fond of, but uh, as well um, a, a, a more intricate player than Antonio. But uh, look, you mentioned Payet, uh, and he or Payet, he seems to pronounce himself. But he's he, his departure cast a shadow. You know he. He'd been such a magnificent, and he'd been so loved at West Ham, and to to dig his heels in and hold out for that move to Marseille, West Ham got twenty five million for him, but they didn't want to lose him. He was an idol, you know, and um, but lose him they did. So that that was a shadow over this over what would, as you rightly say, well over uh, overall would be uh, a, fair, a very respectable season indeed. Yeah, Arsenal then. Let's talk about them. Yeah. I'm doing everything to avoid talking about United. So yeah. Arsenal, we've got to it's talk okay, about them because no they, um, they won the <laughs> FA Cup. Um, yeah. But let's talk about the league form as well. I mean, the one thing that's been a theme of the last three or four episodes has been this sort of seesaw in between Wenger mm. getting a triumphant farewell or staying too long. Um, mm. Normally that argument's reserved for after Christmas, but there is a disaster of an opening day against Liverpool. A great game, but a mm. defensive disaster which says Arsenal are going to be as frail as they ever are. Um, yes. But they, they, to their credit, again, they're not really um, embarrassed in the league el- elsewhere. It's the Champions League which provides the biggest em- embarrassment because they are eliminated in two games against Bayern Munich where... Bayern just yeah five one in both games and it's really that's that's a it's a tough one they finished fifth in the league and that is it does feel like there's a little bit of a regression coming well it's relegation because it's uh, it's the first time they failed to get into a Champions League qualifying position yeah um, since. Well, since 19, moving 1997, into, I think it was. Certainly since moving into the Emirates, which was their, um, yeah. you know, their MO every season was to finish in the top yeah. four, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, they won the FA Cup. They beat Chelsea in the final. So, I mean, that's that's a great achievement. 
I may be wrong, but I think it made uh, Wenger the most successful FA Cup manager. Yeah. Um, but uh, dissatisfaction with him remained. Uh, uh, dissatisfaction with the ruling Krunker family um, from the United States intensified. Um, and uh, they, they were in the title race, sort of, in the first half of the season, but then they just collapsed. And uh, this New Year collapse, as you rightly pointed out, was, was most obvious in Europe when they ran into a top side in Bayern and got absolutely battered twice. It's worth saying that that criticism of Wenger was, was justified around this time because of the quality of his buys. They really were bad. I'll go through the team this season. I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it quickly. Alexis Sanchez, brilliant. Absolutely great buy. This was his second or third season. And he basically carried the team on his back. He got 30 goals in all competitions, 24 in the league alone. He was Arsenal in this season because... The, the rest of it was, well, the midf- in the midfield was uh, Francis Coquelin, not bad, um, ball winner. Yeah, you know, reasonable player, but is he good enough for us? Is he Gilberto Silva? Maybe not quite. Granite Xhaka, in my opinion, very deeply ordinary. They paid 30 million to Borussia Mönchengladbach for him. He was ordinary then. He's just as ordinary now for me. Walcott, great on his day, but poor when he's not. Uh, it, to be fair, he scored 10 league goals in this thing, so you know you can't really criticize him too much. But you know, again, not um, you know top, top, top. Ozil, top, top, top against the bottom teams. Yeah. But can you ever mention? Can you mention any game in which he played well against the top team ever? I can't. Um, Ramsey, not as good as he was the year before. It will be, a lot was expected of him, but it still is. Cathola didn't hardly play. Uh, Giroud, you know, was good when he came in, scored goals, but Wenger didn't seem to fancy him that much because he didn't, he only, he was sub as many times as he, um, in fact, he was sub more often than he started. So, you know, this lack of really top, top players was beginning to show Mustafa, 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 Mustafi, they paid 30 million, 35 million for him from Valencia. And, and he was, you know, he wasn't all that great. Koscielny, not bad, but uh, the, probably the second best player after Alexis was uh, Hector Bellerin at, at, at right back. Mm-hmm. And Petr Cech was looking his age a little bit. He was still good, but looking his age. So, to fifth, if anything, flattered them slightly. Yeah, but it, we are, it feels, you know, that in the last couple of episodes, we've sort of focused on this decline of anger. And like you said, the, the, the buys aren't great because it's. Ninety million pound, and oh, I left out Luca, Lucas Perez, by the way. But just and as well, saying, who's <laughs> Lucas? Who's Lucas Perez? Well, I can't, I can't even remember him. They paid seventeen million for him. Yeah, he was on the bench for the cup final. One That's thing right. I do want to say in Wenger's defence is, 
Um, you he's mentioned a great manager. Well, uh, other I'm just than that, this wasn't his best. But yeah. one thing in this season, which he deserves a lot of credit for, you mentioned Conte going three four three, and that that's shaping a lot of what other yeah. managers did. And Wenger did that. Wenger, yeah. his formation in the cup final was a three four three. So yeah. he, he should, they played well. You're quite right, yeah. actually. They did play well in that game. And yeah, a little bit of a reinvention there. But it, like, I think it was clear. Um, everyone was on the same page with this. It was a matter of when and not if. In, not in, obviously, he was going to, every manager retires or leaves at some point, but you mm. kind of just want him to go out on his own terms. Uh, absolutely. You felt a bit like Ferguson, that Wenger had um, the right to go out on his terms rather than that of the, the press, the fans, and the usual. Uh, lynch mobs, yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, they were they were gathering them um, at United. Then um, they've got Jose Mourinho. They get into bed with Mino Raiola, the agent yeah. who helps them bring in uh, Paul Pogba, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and Emrik Mkhitaryan. Um, yeah. They also sign Eric Bay, a much needed centre off. Mm, good player too. They need, you know, obviously United needed that leverage to compensate for no Champions League football, but the amount of money that they were starting to waste on stuff like this is just incredible. They only lose mm. five times. We talked about the top five, uh, the top four, sorry, United finishing sixth, um, but they only lose five times. Three of those mm. are before the end of October as well, which includes yeah. a 4 0 battering at Chelsea, which Mourinho did not like. Um, yeah. They're unbeaten from then to May, but it's never convincing, Paddy. And then it gets to no. the last weeks of the season, the, and it's obvious. I mean, they win the League Cup, fair enough, but Mourinho doesn't look happy at that. And when no. it's clear that they're getting towards the final of the Europa League, he has a choice to make. Well, he doesn't. I mean, Ferguson wouldn't make the choice, but he made a choice of, I'm going to sacrifice league form and rotate my players and rest them in the league yeah. to basically get through in, in the Europa League now it, it, mm. it succeeds because United win the Europa League but I've got to tell you as a United fan I mm. still feel very uncomfortable about the idea of the fact that he rested players at Spurs and at Arsenal sacrificing games against those teams yeah, um, yeah. when, when the, the top four those teams were in the battle for top four mm. um, yeah I, it, I understand completely but uh, and if you know if Ajax had beaten them if Paul Pogba's yeah. shot hadn't taken a deflection um, if Ajax had beaten them then it, it, you know his uh, bomb would have been hanging out the window no, no question about that but um, his gamble paid off so I think you know I think he made the right choice mm. because he was proved right but you, 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 when you talk about the season, it is extraordinary that a team that only loses five times, the same number as the champions Chelsea, um, incurs so much opprobrium. Fifteen draws, that was the thing. Uh, and do you know how many goals they scored in the league that season? Fifty-four. <laughs> Fifty-four. Well, I mean, there's been teams that are getting relegated, scoring not much less than that. Um they did defend well, they only let in 29, um, and I think Bailly should take a bit of credit for that. Um, there wasn't a lot of uh, stability, I think most of the credit probably should go to David De Gea, you'll remember more closely because you... But, you know, going through the team, uh, you, you know, once again, um, Zlatan and De Gea so stand out from the crowd they really do the rest of the team was just a load of conundrums Smalling or Jones who cares uh, Rooney or Martial you know as Zlatan's 
partner who cares. One's going downhill and one's probably never going to reach the top of the hill. <coughs> Valencia or Valencia or Darmian at right back, I don't know. Uh, Pogba, Mata, you know, well, you can see the advantages in one and the advantages in another. But, you know, in Brian Robson's day, you didn't say Brian Robson or somebody else. You knew, you didn't say, oh, you know, it should... Uh, uh, Eric Cantona lead the line well of course yeah. you know um, so there was just too much too many maybes all over the place even Herrera that they paid all that money for was he better than Carrick or was Mkhitaryan better than them both was Lingard better than all three of them you know there, there were just old questions all over the team and nobody and no real answers apart from the centre forward and the goalie yeah, the idea was you're going to get through to the Champions League and then you can patch that together. You're quite right. Absolutely, with it. he was right there. He was well. I think he was right, and, and you're you're uneasy about it, and I don't blame you either. Slatan, leading goal scorer, 17 goals, 28 in all. He won them that uh, League Cup final, which uh, uh, I thought they were lucky. I thought uh, Claude Puel, Southampton, were the better side. I think if. If Marco Gabbiadini's first goal had counted, he'd, he'd maybe had a hat-trick, a Wembley hat-trick, and he'd have maybe been a hero uh, 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 on the Bobby Stokes, uh, of <laughs> Bobby Stokes uh, proportions yeah. in Southampton. Um, but uh, the, I think it was Andrew Mariner, the referee, made a wrong call, or the linesman did. Uh, I think Southampton were really, really unlucky not to win that. But to this day, I would love to know why Mourinho's face was like a smacked ass uh, while his players were celebrating that, that victory. I, I really don't know what had happened to him that day and I would love to find out. You've got to bet that something that happened in the winning goal was against an instruction. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's possible. Someone That's possible, it. but he really looked like he didn't want to be there, didn't he? Yeah. Um, one feature from this season. Um, we should also mention that John Terry's bowing out at Villa. Um, we have already yeah. talked about it. Uh, sorry, at Chelsea, he goes to Villa. Um, yeah. But he bows out a champion, Rooney? obviously. And Wayne Rooney, um, yeah, he's Man United's record scorer throughout this season. Uh, yeah. one, one thing about Rooney, um, he's going to move on, by the way. He's going to Everton um, on a free transfer, going back home. Um, yeah. But there was the sort of talk, we talked about um, Ronaldo's rise to prominence in sort of 2006, 2007. So, yeah. oh, good grief, 10 episodes ago. Um, and they were <laughs> talking that, you know, it would be Rooney going um, to this level of Messi or Ronaldo he was going to be the British player that did that and he never yes. did um, some people say that well he sacrificed himself so that Ronaldo could get there or Ferguson sacrificed him so that Ronaldo could um, make that but, yes. but the argument is Paddy it has to be that good players um, make the statement for themselves like Ronaldo did um, and I'm not saying that Ronaldo, Rooney wasn't great he was um, in, in that situation United needed Ronaldo more than they needed Rooney in that position and, and it just worked out best for, for everyone now a lot of people say oh well Rooney's one of those players a little bit like Gaza who um, perhaps didn't fulfil a potential but didn't fulfil his potential he, he wins countless trophies a European Cup record score for Manchester United England captain for a while um, United captain for a while what 
what else was he supposed to have done? Windy? Also, England. You know, he, he broke records with England as well. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, and, yeah. and and so I mean, everything that he would have wanted to do at the start of his career, um, you know, was was full, including win the Champions League. Uh, I suppose the only thing uh, that he would have dreamed of when he was a little boy would have been uh, winning a trophy with England, but he, he, he did everything else. Um, I don't know why uh, we all get a bit sniffy and, and, and have a slight reservation about him. Probably he made a rod for his own back when he was 18 in that European Championship in 2004. That's when he uh, suggested that he would be England's Maradona, the man who would change an under an underachieving country into a world champion, or he would, um, you know, he would be the Messi that that created the best ever Barcelona team, or he would be the, <clears throat> you know, just like any of these, or, or indeed, uh, change United's fortunes in the way that that Eric Cantona did. But it, he he did everything else, you know, and. Uh, uh, but was was he a great was was he as good as Ronaldo? Will he be remembered? Of course not. As as good as Ronaldo, um, will he be remembered as better than George Best, Bobby Charlton, and Dennis Law? Uh, I don't know. Probably up there with them. Would you say? Could be. I wouldn't. I'd, I'd say. It's an interesting one because certainly the last sort of three or four years and maybe there's United fans older than me who might say that Bobby Charlton and Dennis Lowe's last two or three years were reminiscent of Dennis Lowe's. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you get nostalgic when you go back, don't you? You think, yeah, well, exactly. you don't think that of Lowe and Charlton, but I think obviously... Oh, no, they, they must have had... Uh, yeah, Bestie uh, didn't play all his games away to Benfica or, yeah exactly yeah. I mean or Northampton but he, he, he yes it's a fair point that and, and I think I think definitely with Wayne Rooney we took we both took him for granted we said you really got a hat trick so what you expect Rooney to get a hat trick we both took him for granted and we willed him to be a national saviour yeah. uh, or, or in, in your case a club saviour you know uh, it, it we just, I suppose we, we all wanted a bit of Wayne Rooney and when he didn't satisfy us all, he got a mixed reception. You know, I, I, it's, it's very, very strange. And I think probably only at the distance, only at a distance, only when the same kind of distance has been applied to him as, as we now feel between us and Lobest and Charlton, um, will the true judgment... Um, Will he receive the true judgment? He'll be a, he'll be an old geezer by then, but I, I hope it pleases him to be finally. Uh, he might even get a knighthood or something. Perhaps um, they like you quite rightly said. Southampton were unlucky in the League Cup final. They'd replaced yes. Ronald Koeman with Claude Puel, but they still managed yeah. to finish eighth. Paddy, um, a great result. I know. I can't, well, this was another example. I, I think the fact that this Southampton team finished eighth is an example of what we're talking about, the two-tier league. Um, the, uh, the, the, I mean, they scored, I'm trying to find the stat for the number of league goals they 41. scored. 41. I think 41. 
you know, as I said before, relegated teams, you know, get teams get relegated scoring 41 goals. Um, uh, and they were dull. Uh, in the end, you know, Puel was to go, was to was to be sacked. Uh, they weren't great to watch, and they were a bit of an anticlimax after the after the Cumin side. Um, they lost uh, sixteen, um, which was four more than they won. Which you know backs up this thing of of, of teams with negative records finishing in very very respectable top eight teams. However. Um, considering all the players they have lost, not least to Liverpool, um, uh, you know it's still in, it was still a good looking side with Forster and Goal, Suarez, Yoshida, Virgil, and Bertrand. Virgil obviously stands out, but their player of the year was Oriol Romeo, who they'd picked up for five million quid from Chelsea, um, and he was far and away their best uh, performer. Um, closely followed by the likes of Tadic, uh, Ward Prowse, Redmond, and for the in the early part of the season, Charlie Austin. He got he scored about nine goals in thirteen games when he got injured, uh, and that was how Marco Gabbiadini came into the side, who could have been the Wembley hero. Um, so um, yeah, it was a, it was a it was a decent side. It just didn't play sexy football. I'll tell you who did though. Their neighbours, Bournemouth. Are we going to talk about them? Let's save them for a little later. Okay. Um, we'll go Good. on to Everton in a moment. I just want to make a point on the... You mentioned Southampton with 41 and United with 54 goals. And you've mm. told, you said a couple of times teams have been relegated scoring more than yeah. that. Well, Blackpool, yeah. 55 goals, which tells you everything that you need to... <laughs> Blackpool, Ian Holloway's team, more entertaining yeah. than... Who, I mean, we raved about them, though, yeah. to be fair, didn't we? When we, when we did the... What season was that? 2011 so we're going back yeah well, when we did the, the episode of that season we raved quite rightly about Blackpool I thought they were t- terrific to watch yeah so, good entertainment yeah, but they scored 55 yeah and, and this and this uh, Southampton team got 41 yeah good point just one other point on Southampton it's just occurred to me that among their uh, victories uh, among their 12 was it 12 victories yeah. Uh, among their 12 victories was a particularly sweet one over Liverpool. So Liverpool were beaten by their own nursery club. (laughs) (laughs) How Powell and everybody connected with Southampton must have loved that one. Yeah, would have had a few fans at Everton as well who brought in Southampton's former manager, Ronald Koeman. Seventh place, Paddy. I mean, that's Mm. a great result for Everton. But isn't it funny how... Um, we was talking about David Moyes' standard for years and then we said, oh, Martinez has done a good job there. But now mm-hmm. seventh represents a fantastic achievement. I mean, great, I a, a great accomplishment for Ronald Koeman, but it does make you think maybe we yep. were taking those David Moyes years for granted. A little Absolutely. Bit. I mean, I think probably Koeman, you know, uh, had, had somebody, uh, you know, uh, given a quote to the Dutch newspapers saying, Yes, Ronald Koeman has done a magnificent job at Everton. He's almost as good, and this is no exaggeration, almost as good as David Moyes. They would have probably taken that as a slightly, um, you know, faint praise. But it's the truth. It's the truth. They became used to sixth under Moyes, and now that they were seventh, Koeman was a hero. Uh, Rightly so, and and Lukaku even more so. Uh, They got 62 league goals, and Lukaku got 25 of them. I mean, they'd, 
they bought him now as a, um, a lot the, a year earlier uh, on a permanent deal from Chelsea and my word was he providing value for money um, it was actually a very uh, it should have been an even better side though because uh, during among their buys that uh, the, in, in, at the beginning of the season were you know Ashley Williams from Swansea to shore up the defence but Yannick Bolassi one of the most exciting wide players in the league unfortunately injury was to um, they paid Palace 22 and a half mil for him and injury unfortunately wasn't to wasn't to um, wasn't to allow him to fulfill his potential um, one other just footnote there they paid uh, Sheffield United 1.5 million for a kid called Calvert-Lewin and uh, actually 1.5 is not a bad fee is it he's, he's beginning under Carlo Ancelotti as we speak he's beginning to look very good value at that price they were able to pay they were able to balance the books because they got that 47.5 from City for John Stones uh, they sold um, Darren Gibson Brian Oviedo to David Moyes at Sunderland uh, for seven and Tim Howard end of an era there because Tim Howard had kept goal for Everton for almost as long as David Moyes had been manager and uh, he moved back to his native United States to play for Colorado um, one highlight of the season um, oh by the way yes young player came through not Ross Barkley I'm thinking of Tom Davies have you ever seen uh, such an introduction as he got during a 4-0 win in January for Everton against uh, Man City. Yeah, it was incredible. What a performance that was from that boy. Every now and again, somebody comes in and just blows your brains out. And uh, he certainly did. Uh, just a magnificent performance as Everton in Everton for Manchester City nil. And Goodison was, uh, well... Absolutely rocking that day. Great, uh, great occasion. One of the one of the matches of the season for me, um, and uh, still a very well uh, a well balanced Everton team. But just you just wonder what would have happened if Yannick Bolasie had been able to to uh, add to the uh, attacking array of Lukaku, Morales, and uh, Ross Barkley. Yeah, absolutely. Um... We've always, well, for the last three or four episodes, given Sunderland quite a lot of love um, for their escape act. So let's go right yeah. down to the bottom, where, yeah. which is where they are. Um, they've lost yeah. Sam Allardyce to England, so they bring in yeah. David Moyes from the start of this season. Yeah. Um, but Paddy's more than that. The biggest problem is that they don't have Newcastle to face in the season, so they've got no rescue acts. They don't know where That's to right. go. Um, That's true. They had, they've won a few derbies, haven't they? Um, but yeah, no, no, that, that that was six points down the drain. <laughs> um, but they only got uh, six wins in the season, Sunderland. Um, they scored. You know, we're talking about um, moaning that Puel Southampton only got forty-one. Well, Sunderland this season got twenty-nine, and more than half of those were scored by one player. Mm. Jermaine Defoe, what a hero on Sunderland, eh? Uh, what a what a hero on on um, on Wearside. 
I think I think you mentioned fourteen. I, I made it fifteen out of twenty nine. He got okay, um, and he certainly gave them hope. They they they'd got to Adnan Yanisai, who, in common with a lot of people, I wrongly thought was going to become a great player. They took him on loan uh, at Sunderland, but it was the 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 stars of the of the show were. Uh, uh, the start of the show was Jermaine Defoe. Uh, one, another little glimmer of light during the season was that Jordan Pickford uh, emerged as a, as a very good young goalkeeper. But really, I'm scrabbling around. Just um, to mention, we talked before about former United youth products um, featuring in uh, teams who achieve. Well, not only was that Yanisai, in uh, in that team, uh, so was John O'Shea, still doing his best as captain of relegated Sunderland. Yeah, um, northeast trio really relegation. If, if Hull City counters that, if you include Hull, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about yeah. um, well, let's start with Hull then, because after a good fight on their return, they um, they're down. Mike Phelan is brought in early season, but he only lasts until January. Yeah, He's that's because re- Steve Bruce quit because the club was in a mess yeah um, but yes as you say in January Michael Phelan uh, was sacked as well Marco Silva came in um, but you know it was just one of those seasons the club was in turmoil I think they were trying to sell it actually um, Michael Dawson good pro captain cruciate pre-season so he's out for months um, there were takeover talks Bruce quit um, the signings weren't well there weren't really any um, there was a reasonable start but six defeats and that was it um, they never never looked like uh, never really looked like uh, escaping Harry Maguire was in the team it's, it's, it's extraordinary really when you look at what they've done since but uh, Harry Maguire and Andy Robertson were in that team uh, that went down. and uh, But there just wasn't enough. And uh, so that, after one season, was the end of Hull. Also, after one season, Middlesbrough. Uh, they, uh, they only had five wins. They only scored 27 goals. They made Sunderland look prolific. <laughs> They only scored 12 goals more than Jermaine Defoe. Yeah. Um, Karanka, Ito Karanka, left mid-March. Um, so it was Steve Agnew who, as caretaker who actually took them, took them down. Um, oh, some, again, a, rather, a little bit like um, with Sunderland, the goal scoring being dominated by one man. Uh, Negredo, uh, formerly of Manchester City, uh, did very well to get nine out of 27 in the league. Um, Victor Valdez, who was the goalkeeper, must have wondered what on earth he was doing after all his glory days at Barcelona. Um, but uh, uh, that was it. Down after uh, after one season again, Middlesbrough, and so it was really enormously. Uh, to the credit of Burnley as a club and Sean Deitch as a manager that Burnley 
largely because of their exploits at Turf Moor, stayed up. Yeah, they were brilliant this season, and we talked about their perhaps searching for that identity. And certainly, this this Sean Dyche team do have it. I mean, for a little while, it yeah. looks like you know they might um, they they might be flirting with relegation, but. Sean Dyche has a great December. Yep. Um, they they end the actual calendar year in eleventh, which means that they can sort of not peter out the season, but um, they they can. And certainly, you wouldn't accuse this Burnley side of taking the foot off the pedal. But they've no. accumulated enough points that they're not in any um, sort. Of, they're not sweating for the future. And sixteenth no, is sixteenth is, is a good return, isn't it? It's a good return, and they. I think that. But there's certainly six points, um, maybe seven from uh, you know t- safety. But one theme here is that we're talking about the importance of a settled team, the importance of continuity. That's what Burnley did. Let me uh, tell you that. Well, two statistics about this season. We talk about the t- turf moor factor. Burnley up won eleven matches. Ten of those wins were at turf moor. <laughs> The only one they won away from home was at Palace right at the end when they just needed to, to you know, just to, to, to make sure that they were safe. And, um, uh, they, they, but, but, but the question of a settled team, uh, I mean, here are the players who made over 30 league appearances for the team. Heaton in goal, Loughton right back, Keane centre-back, Meese centre-back, Ward full-back. So the whole back five made over 30 league appearances, as did Arfield, Hendrick and Boyd in midfield, as did Andre Gray and Sam Vokes up front. Admittedly, Vokes' were mainly as, uh, as, it was largely as a sub, um, but he still finished at leading goal scorer with 10 and Andre Gray got nine. So, you know, very, very important, the settled team. And, and to go back to Manchester United, they only had one player, and that was David De Gea, who started more than 30 league games, one. Burnley had over 30 league appearances, including subs, from 10, from yeah. 10 players. How important is having a settled team in football? Yeah, gets you over the edge, as Burnley learned yeah. to their to, um, credit in this season. So, you know... We obviously um, run through some teams that we we sort of say we're going to catch up on next time, and I think yeah. that possibly we do have a bit of catching up to do on. <laughs> on, on certainly on Swansea and Bournemouth, we need to talk and about Bournemouth and, and Watford as well to an extent. So um, yeah, we'll do, will we catch up on them uh, next next uh, episode because well, we've got to, to do that. Uh, 2017 18 season. I'm looking forward to that one. We, we have. Let's have a little look at Swansea um, because we yep. spent all that time tr- uh, praising them for sensible running and they almost oh. ruin it this season. Don't I know. They? You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, the, you know, you talked uh, right at the beginning of this episode about teams having, you know, changing managers all the time. Well, Swansea, once the, uh, uh, you know, once the sort of arch uh, proponents of continuity, um, every time they lost a manager, they brought in a similar one. Um, Well, uh, Gary Monk looks like being the last of the line because they began, they'd, they'd got rid, as you remember from the previous episode of 
of Gary Monk, their former player after a 14-year association with the club, began with began the season with the guy who ended the previous season, Francesco Guidolin, the Italian. Um, but he was sacked in early October and replaced by the uh, United States uh, coach Bob Bradley. But he didn't work either. In fact, things arguably got worse. And he was replaced by Paul Clement just after Christmas. Now, uh, Paul Clement, as you know, is a, a very interesting guy and never, never was an outstanding player, although his father was an England international, the late Dave Clement. Um, uh, Paul Clement never made it as a top player, but he certainly made it as a top coach, he, uh, particularly in association with, uh, with Carlo Ancelotti. I mean, he'd worked with uh, Ancelotti at Chelsea, Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich. Um, which great club had he not, not worked with Carlo Ancelotti at? Um, and he'd made his way as a manager in his own right at Derby, and now he had his chance at Swansea. And, to be fair, in this 2016-17, he did steer Swansea away from the serious danger of relegation. They ended up seven points clear, um, and largely through the goal-scoring feats of uh, Paco Llorente, uh, he had been bought for a bargain, five million quid from Sevilla, and uh, he got fifty. He got a third of uh, Swansea's forty-five league goals, fifteen league goals. Um, so that was that was a that was a tremendous buy, and and with the. You know, the creativeness of Gilfie Sigurdsson behind him, Leroy Fair in midfield. There was a little bit in that second half of the old uh, Swansea style. Um, whether next season will bring them much, well, we'll have to wait for the next episode. Yeah. Um, the teams that we'll catch up on next time, obviously a really good season for West Brom, but it's let down by the poor end. There's no wins in the last nine, so nothing to play for. And they're on the holidays from March, which suggests things are going stale after some solid years under Tony Pulis. Similar Correct. story for Mark Hughes at Stoke, so there's going to be more on those next time, as well as Crystal Palace. Um, a, a quick word on Watford, Paddy. You did want to mention them, and they yeah. on, on match day 32, they win against Swansea. They're in the top 10, and then they lose mm. the last six and finish 17th. That's yes. incredible. I and mean, they're never in yeah. danger of relegation, but they um, the last team to avoid it, really. Uh, absolutely. Um, they <laughs> they they took a very different approach from Burnley's to. Uh, I mean, Burnley's is textbook football management, really, and 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 football administration. Watford's is um, is business, basically. <laughs> they um, they had uh, thirty-two players in and out over the season. Thirty-two transfers, including frees, out of the club uh, in uh, over the season, and. Even in the first team, there was uh, what you might call something of a churn. Uh, uh, Aurelio Gomes in goal and Troy Deeney at the front, captain, appeared in more than 30 of their league matches. Nobody else did. Mm. Everything was either him or him or him or him, but there were six points from uh, the relegation zone under a new manager, Walter Mazzari, 
who'd taken over from Kike Sanchez Flores, who'd done well the previous season. Uh, Watford beat Man United in September. That was a highlight. But as you say, lost their last six, which um, hinted at trouble ahead. Yeah, the last team to talk about today we certainly did have no trouble this season. Um, Bournemouth, yeah, what a wonderful. great season. Ninth place. They get to, again, this is a team you get to February and you're not really sure about them. Maybe they'll go down, maybe they'll get dragged into it, maybe they're not just good enough. But they have a really yeah. strong end to the season where it looks now that they've developed that knack we said about Swansea and West Brom a few mm. seasons ago of being able to t- beat teams of a similar level at mm. home with with a degree of comfort and Bournemouth um, played some really good stuff as well well I've got an interesting stat on Bournemouth during the season um, they were the best if you like do you like goals <laughs> yeah, Wayne uh, certainly I do. think you like a goal don't you uh, in that case that you should have got a season ticket home and away to watch Bournemouth because in their games, you saw 122 goals. Now, that compares with 89 for, for Southampton. So yeah. if you're a neutral on the south coast, you know where to go. They were the best value in the league. No club, not even Liverpool or Man City, uh, had as many goals scored in their matches. Now, that, of course, means that they conceded a few. But uh, it was still... It was great to watch. They'd, um, they'd promoted Ryan Fraser because one of the players they sold in the winter was Matt Ritchie to Newcastle. Uh, but, and you thought, well, might struggle because Matt Ritchie was a great provider. But uh, in a different way, Ryan Fraser, with his running, uh, became just as good at opening up defences. And uh, that, so that although uh, Callum Wilson, I think, missed a lot of the game, a lot of the season with injury, uh, they still did very, very well. Josh King stepped up uh, as goal scorer, got 16 in all uh, competitions. But everybody everybody uh, chipped in in this Anglophobe. Still, do you remember I mentioned last week that you know, everybody's English was their first language? Still the same, the, the similar um, policy. Most, most people were English, you know, English speaking as a, as a native language in, in the squad, which made it an unusual one. Um, but uh, one of the English signings was Lewis Cook from Leeds who was a particular success as a midfield organiser 7 million, what a bargain perhaps less so Jordan Ibe at 15 million from uh, Liverpool Um, but Jack Wilshere sort of rehabilitated himself took the opportunity to away from the glare of expectations at Arsenal quietly uh, rehabilitated himself. It was, all in all, it was a it was a great team, great team to watch. They uh, they played nice football, and typical would have been games like that. A lot of sort of four threes and things like that. Um, uh, good 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 uh, excitement everywhere they went. And um, as I say, one one player, one very interesting player was Nathan Nathan Ake, who who they got from Chelsea, and uh, he was to, uh, over the succeeding years, which we will no doubt discuss, was to give uh, their defence even more poise. Yeah, absolutely, and um, I would probably go on record as saying the Bournemouth game against Arsenal was possibly the game of the season as well. You've got yes. Bournemouth racing into a 3-0 lead um, just after half-time, and then Arsenal staged this late comeback in the last 20 minutes. 
Um, yep. so that's right in the midst of all those high scoring games you've talked about with Bournemouth um, achievement which is all the most staggering considering their lowest gate in the league of 10,890 um, yep. in one game this season the capacity is only 11,329 as well so yes. after a few unpredictable years it was time for the mega rich clubs in the Premier League to finally start reaping the rewards of their lavish expenditure <laughs> 